0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: When was the last time that you prayed, God, teach me to walk in your sanctification? God speaks numerous times, both in the old and new, concerning His purposes, His will for our life. And it's only when we are maturing that we're going to be moving in the direction of his will. And we call that sanctification, whereby we become less and the power of God, the presence of God, the spirit of God becomes more in our life. That is sanctification. It involves us following the purposes of God. Sanctification is derived from the word holy, both in Hebrew and in Greek, the word holy. And it's a process whereby we grow and mature and submit more and more and more to the will of God. So again, when was the last time that you prayed, God, help me to do your will for my life. Give me your revelation so that I can submit to what you would have me to do that we lay ourselves so to speak upon the altar and become as paul says in romans 12 a living sacrifice so that we can be abundantly pleasing to god well with that said take out your bible and look with me to first thessalonians and chapter four we're going to begin this chapter in this lesson we'll complete it god willing next week and notice what what Paul says. He writes, therefore, brethren, but it begins with another phrase. And that is the word many Bibles will say, finally. But it's literally, if we look at it, it has to do with the final thing that that Paul wants to talk about. So he is beginning this fourth chapter, the second to last chapter. And what he said up until this time has prepared things for this, that which is remaining. And usually that which is remaining is the the main thing, the primary truth that Paul wants to share in an epistle. So he says, finally, therefore, brethren, we beseech you and we, the word is encourage, but it could be a stronger word in the English language, the word exhort. So it means to, to encourage greatly. To put pressure on someone to do, and here's the key, to do the right thing. To turn away from the things of the world, the the thinking of the world, and embrace the purposes of God. So, finally, therefore, brethren, we beseech you and exhort you, how? In the Lord Yeshua. Now, I don't believe it's an accident that the term here before Yeshua is the word Lord. We need to grow and mature and acknowledge that, that Yeshua is just not my Savior. He's that. But also, because he has saved me, I acknowledge him as Lord over me. Now, we're not talking about, and I want to give a term, because many times people use this term incorrectly. It's the term, and we've mentioned it before recently, it's the term lordship. And many times people will speak about lordship salvation and they apply it to something that is incorrect. Lordship salvation is saying, in order to be saved, you have to to demonstrate in your life his lordship. So it becomes a works-based righteousness, a salvation by performance. We're not talking about that at all. That would be heresy. What we're talking about is acknowledging, understanding that he is Lord and desiring to submit to that Lordship over our life. That is maturity and that is related to what he's going to focus in on and that is sanctification. We'll see that in a moment. Let's let's continue on. He says in the middle of verse 1, Just as you have received from us, how how it's necessary for you to walk now in actuality i did not translate one of the words and the reason being is that it's hard to do so in in english the word that i did not translate is the definite article what's the definite article it's simply the word the now you may not know this but but in greek there are 24 forms different forms of that word the and that shows how it can be very specific and in this case it's using the word the he talks about how it is necessary for you to walk walk Is a behavior word it speaks about lifestyle that same term walk is used in Hebrew to speak about Jewish law meaning what the Word of God demands a person do in order to be obedient so it's a lifestyle and he says here the reason why the definite article is appearing is that he's speaking about a specific he's taught us he says you received from us how specifically How it's necessary in a specific way for you to behave, for you to live. And what's the objective? It is only when we specifically follow that way of living, that lifestyle, that we are going to, notice how this this, uh, phrase ends, where he says, to please God. So here's what it comes down to. Do you want to please God? If you do... There's only one way to do so. It's speaking about this lifestyle that that Paul and the other apostles has outlined for them. And it's submitting to, and we'll see this in a moment, it is submitting to the purposes of God for your life. Not having God do what you want. Not God blessing the dream that you have for your life. But you, crucifying of yourself all of those desires what you think your life is supposed to be realize a simple truth no one no one stumbles upon god's will no one has ever said god this is what i believe my purpose is on this this planet why you created me let me share with you god what that is and we share and god says you're right that's exactly my plan for your life never happens why God's truth only comes to humanity through revelation. So no one stumbles upon God's plan for their life. No one says, this is what I've I've waited for all my life. This is my moment and God has it for me. Heresy, false, feels good. It tickles the ear. It feels good to the flesh, but it's not biblically sound. So your plan is never God's plan and God's plan. You'll never know it until he reveals it to you. And we've talked about this before. The only way that he's going to reveal it to you is when you begin to obey his general revelation. What do I mean by that? The theologians speak about general revelation and special revelation. What's general revelation? The instructions we find written in God's word. So when I submit to these instructions, what God commands me to do, when I obey his word, That obedience is going to bring about special revelation, meaning God's going to begin to move me where he wants me to be, reveal to me things that I need to know personally. Maybe who I should marry, where I should live, what I should do with my life. All of these personal things. We don't find in the scripture that someone is called to marry this person, live in this city, accept this job. None of those things are there. These come by special revelation that God directs you. This is the person that he has for you. This is the, the place that he wants you to be. This is the call that he's given to you. All of that comes through obeying scriptural truth. Through that obedience, God gives us that guidance, that direction personally for our life. So he says, you know, you know, you've received from us. How? and it's the word specifically. How specifically? It's necessary. Notice that word. It is necessary for you to, to behave, for you to walk in this world. How? In order to, he says, and to please God. And what's the benefit of that? Now, God is so good. He says, I've revealed to you, through Paul, to this congregation, how it's necessary in a specific way. For you to behave in a way that you please me meaning please god what's the outcome of living in this way well he says keep reading the end of of verse one in order that and that means there's no other way in order that you abound and it's you all it's for all believers you all abound all the more now this word abounding speaks about abundance. It speaks about that which goes beyond, beyond our expectations, beyond what we could imagine. And I was speaking to someone today on the phone, when I say today, when this is being recorded, and this person gets it right. She was saying, you know, when I submit to God, he He orders my life. My life becomes adventurous. I see God moving me. And he's a good God. He's a God that orders things in a way that brings about joy. I know, she says, that God's in and active in my life. And that gives her joy, gives her peace. She has this abundance. So this is what Paul is speaking about. Move on to to verse 2. He says, For you know certain instructions... We gave to you, how? Through Lord Yeshua. Now, why is that important? Through the Lord Yeshua. He's telling us something here, and it's not new. It is only when I behave. Now, we're not saved by behavior, but behavior is important to God. And behaving in the right way, in a pleasing way, has great benefits. So, notice what he says. He talks about here, you know, these certain instructions that we gave you through the Lord Yeshua. And when we submit to them, they are going to bring about godly activity, his power, the anointing of the spirit, the revelation that we need to make wise decisions to have that that godly discernment so that we can see things correctly. That only comes through demonstrating he's the Lord of your life. Now, he's called Lord so frequently in the New Testament, is he not? But one of the things I'll tell you, when I speak about following him as Lord, acknowledging Him as Lord, you cannot imagine the negative emails I get in regard to that. And they all say the same thing. You're teaching a salvation by works. Never have I taught Salvation by works. It is by grace. It's a free gift. Messiah does it all. He does everything perfectly, sufficiently in order that we can have eternal salvation. It's not dependent upon anything that we do. We simply receive it. And this receiving is not playing a part in the, the work of salvation. It's a gift that we access by faith, not by works but having been saved we are called and i will never move away from this because it's clearly taught in the scripture having been saved we are called to demonstrate he is the lord of my life meaning he's my authority i do what he commands me to do and doing that is going to cause you to oftentimes walk alone to see things differently see here's one of the great blessings when you say, he's the Lord, he's my authority, and I make decisions that are pleasing to him and in line with his will. You never have to worry about hard decisions. Why? They're already made. See, God's faithful. He shows you clearly based upon the revelation of his word what's right and what's wrong. We are called to execute justice. We are always on the side of justice. Now, there's an individual... He was, was speaking about the tension between grace and truth. There is no tension between grace and truth. It doesn't exist. Grace compels me to live according to the truth. Now, when he gave his message, he was talking about homosexuality. He's confused by this. because He says, you know, we want to be gracious to the, the homosexuals. I do too. Give them the truth. That lifestyle's wrong. It's not going to be a blessing for them. It's not the right way. It is not what God speaks about, that specific way that it's necessary for us to live. So I don't struggle with what to say. God's already revealed it. So grace is never compromising truth. Grace never in any way uh, lessens one for standing for truth. I know what's truth. Why? Because I can read. God's word tells me truth. So when I see what God says about this this behavior, I know it's wrong. It is not God's best for that person. God's not going to bless that person. That person's not going to know peace and joy. He's being deceived. Therefore, grace compels me to speak the truth. Grace is never in conflict with truth. And this is the problem for much of modern Christianity. They're confused about grace. They think grace always means uh, uh, being humanly kind, not ever offending. Really, the cross is the means of grace. And Paul talks about how the cross was offensive to individuals. So we need to get it right. And it, it is so sad that people struggle with this. That they're 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 in blindness to what true biblical grace is all about. Look at verse 3. He says, and now we get to the heart of what Paul's going to address in this this fourth chapter. Look at verse 3. He says, For this is the will of God. Now that makes it pretty clear. This is the will of God. And what is it? Your Sanctification. Here again, sanctification, if you look at this word, it's a word that speaks of a process, but the the foundational word, and I said this a few minutes ago, the foundational word is holy, holiness. So it's a process where I demonstrate holiness. And as I've said a gazillion times, holiness is always connected to the purposes of God. And grace gives me two things. Grace gives me the understanding of what is God's will and empowers me to carry it out. Now you say grace also saves. Yes, it does. But but we're talking to believers here. So we don't need to always emphasize to believers, by grace you have been saved. That's true. We have been. But we need to realize for believers, and this is who Paul is addressing, is that grace works to bring about obedience to the purposes of God, for us to submit to the truth of God. Grace teaches us to deny self. That means the desire the, to, to deny the desires of flesh, so that we can say yes to the commandments of God. And let me tell you, if you are part of a congregation that you're under someone that says, you know, being submissive to the commandments of God, Now, we're not talking about Torah observance according to what Moses wrote. Why? We know something. There is no temple. We can't come. Passover is is approaching, and we know something. We know that it's impossible to keep Passover. And if it's impossible to keep Passover, it's impossible to keep Shabbat and all the other festivals. In fact, when we look at the law of Moses... There is well over 250, some will say 300, almost half of the commandments that are impossible today to be kept. So what does that tell us? We walk in the spirit and we fulfill the spirit, the intent of that law. And in doing so, we fulfill the righteousness of the law. Not according to the letter of the law, that's impossible. But according to the objective, the purpose of law, the Spirit of God enables us to do that. That's not legalism. What is that? That is faithfulness. Obeying the Word of God, applying God's truth, His instructions to our life. That is a good thing. And too many people, they think that is is against the faith of of what Messiah taught. How sad indeed. Look again at verse 3. For this is the will of God. What is it? Your sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? I already said. Sanctification is is walking, living, behaving according to the purposes of God. God's instruction. But notice what he says at the end of verse verse 3. He says, For you to abstain from evil. Now, that word oftentimes speaks of sexual immorality. And we're going to see that that is indeed the context of what he's going to say later on. So abstain, meaning this. Do not welcome that into your life. Do not receive these things into your life. Abstain from them. And this means saying, no, they're wrong. So sanctification always implies rejecting that which is not according to the commandments of God. God's instruction, both in the Old and in the New Testament. Going back to, to, to this message that this one person gave about the conflicting between grace and truth. There's no conflict. I said that earlier. So abstain from sexual immorality. It's easy to say that. Is it hard for people to do that? Obviously. People struggle in that area in a variety of ways. They, they struggle with the proper way of, of meeting needs, the proper ways in that God God created us to be, to have that, that aspect of our life. We have to submit to God's structure for that, God's timing for that, God's way for that, that it would be fulfilled in holiness, in righteousness, in purity, in the way that God is glorified through it don't pervert it so there's nothing at all confusing grace does not bring confusion and say well what do I need to tell that person it's pretty clear does it not he says to abstain you are to abstain from sexual immorality and then look at verse 4 why we translate that word sexual immorality is because it says for each one to know his own vessel, meaning his own body, to, some will say, possess. It's a word of ruling over. It's a word that speaks about, about governing properly. How? In holiness, in sanctification, and in honor. So, we learned something. These two words, again, the term sanctification deriving from holiness... That we learn how to control our bodies in a way that, that speaks according to the parameters of God's commandments. His commandments tell me what is acceptable in this area in my life and what's not acceptable. And it's very clear. It is only permissible, this behavior, between a man and a woman who have entered into a covenant of marriage. It is a very exclusive act and it is very much exclusive within a covenantal marriage. Now, when, when the church becomes confused by this, how sad. And not just sad, excuse me, but it's sickening that we can't get this right. And it just shows the influence of the enemy. I'm speaking about the devil. His influence in much of what the world looks at and says is Christianity. Well, so much of it, and you can go denomination after denomination after denomination, has embraced this, this alternate lifestyle. It is tragic. It is an abomination to God. And, and we need to affirm that. We, we don't want to be, to be uh, timid in what we say in regard to it. We need to be bold and stand for the truth of God. And let me tell you, once you make a decision, my my thoughts are going to be based in scripture. I want to do the things that are pleasing to God. Once you make that decision, it becomes so easy to respond to questions and issues that come to you because you have that revelation You know what the scripture says. You make decisions based upon the truth of God, and you don't allow the influence of the enemy. That is, is human propaganda, what the media presents. And unfortunately, what what more and more so-called religious people are embracing, we don't let that influence us because of what? What does he say here? That each one of you needs to know his own vessel, meaning his own body, How to rule over it in sanctification and holiness and honor. And here's the key. It's when I know how to rule my behavior, my body, what I do with it, in a way that that is in the, the description, the definition, the framework of what God says is holy. Then, what's the outcome of that? I honor God my body becomes an instrument of honoring god now your body is going to honor someone it is either going to honor the god of israel and his son messiah yeshua in the anointing of of the holy spirit the very spirit of god or you are going to be behaving not in holiness but in unholiness being deceived and you're going to be honoring the enemy and not god and unfortunately There's too many people that hold this Bible. A lot of them don't even hold the Bible anymore. It comes up on a screen. They use a translation that is so uh, uh, far removed from from what the actual text says. They allow the influences of, of society and culture to impact the translation that they use. And this is shameful. So they are being misled. And I think many of them know that but they're more concerned about pleasing man than than honoring God. Now, notice what it says in the the next part of of the study. Look at verse verse 5. We're supposed to know how to possess our own bodies in holiness, which brings honor to God. And then he says, Not in the passions of desires. Just as, also, the nations. Now, the nations, he uses a term which which oftentimes is translated Gentiles. How should we understand it? When he speaks about Gentiles, he's speaking not so much about Jew and non-Jew, but those who have no covenantal relationship with God. That's the problem. Until one enters into a covenant with God, you're not going to have the resources The revelation, the power, the anointing. You're not going to be able to discern truth until you enter into that new covenant. Why? That new covenant brings about a change. It causes you to be a new creation. So look at verse 5. He says, Not in the the passion of desires, just as also the, the Gentiles, those who have no covenant, The ones that do not know God. They don't know God. And here's the message. You and pay very close attention to the word here. The word here for knowing God is an experiential. Not a knowledge, but an experiential. So you cannot know God. You cannot experience God or all of his benefits or any of his benefits until you are in a covenant with him. So if you are not part of that new covenant, You cannot know God. You might know, well, there's a God, but you can't experience God. You're not going to benefit from from God's provision in your life because step one is enter into that new covenant relationship. And how do you do that? Only one way, and that is through the gospel. Now, move on to to verse 6. It says, These do not know God, and therefore, because of that, they live, improperly so he's warning us he's speaking to believers and he says in regard to our lifestyle still talking about that he says not uh uh in iniquity and exploiting the the matter of his brother now i would stop for a moment and realize something paul is doing something he is bringing a torah context in to to this section now why do i say Torah context well if we drop down and this is where we're going to begin next week but i just want to to make reference to this notice what paul says in verse nine he talks about brotherly love now is there a commandment that speaks about uh loving your brother loving one another yes there is and messiah taught love your neighbor as yourself this is the second great commandment. and It's like the first. Why? It's related to love. Now, here's what he's saying. When you walk in, in your sanctification, when you are living that sanctified life, you are not going to, to exploit what you're called to do. And that is your obligation to your brother. What's my obligation to my brother? To love him. To minister to him, to bless him, to to have a a God-pleasing influence in their life. Now, Paul is going to, and I made mention verse 9, brotherly love. He's saying, and let's look again at, at our verse, look at verse 6. He says, not based upon iniquity and not exploiting. And then we have a word here. Now it may be translated, the matter. Of his brother but this word for matter or issue don't know how it's translated in your Bible many where I was speaking and shared this passage not too long ago in a different country there their translation doesn't even have any word for that it just ignores it but what's the word well it is the Greek word pragma now why is that important we look at it and it says just that Pragma, it's in a form, pragmati, in this form, but it's pragmatic. What's that? Pragmatic is something that is useful, and it's also the primary thing. It is based upon studying thoroughly something, having the information in order to make a pragmatic decision. And what he's saying is this, when you, Understand sanctification. What is key to sanctification? Now, first of all, yes, in order to be on that process of sanctification, first you have to be saved. I want everyone to hear that. Sanctification cannot begin in a person's life until first this person is saved. So we're saved by God's grace through that gospel message, not of works, lest anyone boasts but it's a free gift. It's through God's grace, the work of the cross that Messiah did in our our name to save us, to pay the sin debt that, that humanity have. Now, when I receive salvation by faith, not of works, that salvation is going to put forth an outcome. There's going to be a result of that salvation experience what is that well we all know the scripture that says work out your salvation with fear and trembling that does not mean that we play a role in working out our salvation what it says is with fear and trembling salvation needs to work out something and you are responsible for that solely no the holy spirit plays a major role but until i submit to the the pragmatic things those foundational things, those matters that bring the anointing, the power, the resources of the Holy Spirit instead of quenching the Holy Spirit, I need to submit to Him. Now, the, know, the knowledge of, of Paul tells us this. All the Torah in one statement. He says that in Galatians. What's all the Torah in one statement? Love your neighbor as yourself. So as I understand based upon all the commandments, How do I love my neighbor? First of all, until I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'll never be able to love my neighbor. So it's when I am right with God that I can behave rightly in regard to my neighbor. It begins with his influence in my life. And then we say in Hebrew, uh, Who has sanctified us, not saved us, but sanctified us with what? His commandments. So it's when I study under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and apply the commandments to my life in the Spirit, in the newness of the Spirit, that I am going to be projected, I am going to move forward in sanctification. And he's saying here, do not ignore, don't exploit the foundational thing. And that is what? One's pragmatic. That is one's basic uh, obligation to who? His neighbor. For the Lord, notice what it says here. We need to take this seriously because the Lord avenges. He, he takes vengeance concerning all of these things. What? All of these things which are in violation to the, the obligation that we have to love our neighbor as ourself. Just as we have said beforehand to you and we have testified thoroughly. So Paul says to this congregation, I've said this before, I've testified thoroughly that we need to be people who walk in submissiveness, not exploiting God's grace, not misunderstanding God's grace, not living in a way that speaks of of iniquity and unrighteousness, but rather in the holiness of of God's grace purposes and where do i know god's purposes from his commandments one of the reasons hear this carefully one of the reasons that that believers let's say this way the church is is not very influential in the world is because it has no power where do we find power in sanctification where do we find sanctification when we understand how by faith under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to apply God's instructions to our life. Now, it's so sad to me, but if you say, we are called under the leadership to apply, to to implement God's instructions, apply His instructions to our life, people say, oh, that's okay. But if you say, the word commandment, we are called to apply God's commandments to our life, they shout legalism, but the word Torah, and the word horaot instructions it comes from the same word we hear torah you say, law something heavy but but the word torah is derived from the same word which means to instruct one who teaches the torah is torah mora you hear the similarities same root torah mora the t for torah it's a Tav, it makes it a noun just like the mem makes it a noun for one who teaches So, what does one teach? They teach the Torah. That's why the word for teacher and the word for law is is derived from the same word. So, we need to get it right. And we're called to be a disciple of the instructions of God. That's what the scripture teaches us. So, God, when we do not walk in holiness, we do not fulfill his expectations from his instructions, it says, God, therefore, will avenge. He will bring vengeance concerning all these things, all these things that are violating his word. Just as Paul says, we've told you beforehand and we've testified thoroughly. Now look at verse seven. It was this verse that was our call to worship. Word says, for God has not called us for impurity. That is that which is unclean. Now realize there's, two possibilities you are either work, walk behave in a way that's unclean or in holiness just that simple the bible does not give us any other uh, other possibilities so i'm going to be walking in impurity or purity purity is related to holiness the word purity has to do with that which god will bless And when we are in his will, obeying his instructions, we are transformed into that purity which God will bless. Now, we're not talking about a declarative purity or declarative righteousness. We're talking about a performance righteousness. Now, be very careful. Hear what I'm talking about and not what someone may accuse me of. One is made righteous by faith. But when it says made righteous, we are declared righteous. We have the righteousness of Messiah given to us. So when God sees us, he sees his righteousness and obviously will receive us. That's a declarative righteousness. That's important. That's salvation. That's wonderful. Praise God, because all of that came from the grace of God through the work of Messiah on that cross. And the resurrection confirms that. Wonderful. But being declared righteous, there is what he's talking about now. And that is living righteously. And we live righteously, being anointed by that Spirit, in order that we obey the instructions of God. Now, if that's controversial, let me tell you, you are not a believer. It's just that simple. If saying, obeying the instructions of God, being led by the Holy Spirit, is controversial or problematic, you do not have the Spirit of God in you. Someone who hears that, who has the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will say, yes. He will confirm that. He will convict you of what? All righteousness. Not just how one is made righteous, but how one lives righteously. You see, those are two different things. Being declared righteous by grace. It's a free gift. Living righteously comes through the power and the provision of God through the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit in order that we behave righteously. We do the things. Are those things important to God? Yes, they are. How do I know that? Because Messiah says, I'm coming to render to each one according to his deeds. Are we saved by deeds? We are not. Are we going to be judged by deeds? Yes, we will. The scripture says that. Now, people can can ignore that. They can reject that. That's between them and God. But I want to testify according to the word of God, what scripture reveals. So he says here, look at verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity to be unclean, but, he says it again, but for or in sanctification, in God's instructions, in his purposes, in holiness. One more verse and we'll be done. Verse 8. Now, this gets to the heart of what I was speaking about. And that is, if someone disagrees with this statement, it is legalism, it is attacking God's grace, it is a works-based righteousness to say that, that those who are saved by grace are called to obey the Word of God, His instructions, His commandments, what we read in the Scripture, applying them, being led by the Holy Spirit, If that's problematic, let me say what what Paul does in verse 8. He says, therefore, the one who rejects, the one who is rejecting this, does not reject man. But who does he reject? But God. And notice how he concludes. He rejects God, the one also who gave his Holy Spirit to us, literally in us now the question that you have to answer is this why does he speak about the holy spirit he just mentioned about sanctification holiness and he says if you're not committed to holiness if you're not about living that sanctified life the way that the word of god reveals his instructions his commandments you're you're not rejecting me you're not rejecting a man but you are rejecting god And He is the one who has given to you His Spirit, His Holy Spirit that's in you. So it makes it very clear. Why is the Holy Spirit mentioned? Because the Holy Spirit is He that works in our life and empowers us so that we can have discernment, that we can understand God's revelation, that's what discernment, We can have wisdom so we know how to apply God's truth, His knowledge, to our situations so that we can have a testimony of righteousness. It is one thing to be declared righteous by faith. Praise God for that. And we have assurance because of that declaration of faith that we have been made righteous, that the righteousness of Messiah has been imputed, given to us. Nothing's going to change that. That's wonderful. But we're here now, still in this world, in this body, so that we can live righteously. And what does Paul say? He says, by grace you have been saved. But he also says that that grace that has appeared to save us also teaches us to deny ungodliness and to walk righteously and soberly where? In this world. And that's what Paul's emphasizing. And we're going to see the relationship between what we studied in this lesson and what he's going to talk about next week when he gives that revelation concerning that blessed hope, the rapture. These two things are inherently related. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, Chag Semer. May God bless you with a wonderful celebration of Passover and the beginning of the feast of Unleavened Bread. Until that time, Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others.